President Trump looks to the sky and declares, I am the chosen one. So does that make Greenland the promised land? The lead starts right now. Flip, flop, and flip again. After supporting and then caving on background checks for guns, President Trump today says he hasn't changed positions at all. So is being all over the place actually a policy? Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. President Trump snubs this staunch U.S. ally, pitching a fit because they scoffed at his interest in buying Greenland. Today, he follows up, calling the Danish prime minister's comments nasty. Plus, the president's latest outburst aimed at Jewish voters, doubling down on his accusation that Jewish Democrats are disloyal, stirring outrage again for reviving a vile anti-Semitic trope. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill in today for Jake Tapper. And we start with the politics lead. President Trump all over the map today on gun control, even questioning his own move, saying he wants to, quote, fill in loopholes on universal background checks, but then moving on to NRA talking points, which question that very idea. But we also have to remember the gun doesn't pull the trigger. A person does. I don't want to take away people's Second Amendment rights. We're talking about background checks. Then all of a sudden, we're talking about, let's take everybody's gun away. This just one day after, according to a source, President Trump told the NRA's executive vice president, Wayne LaPierre, that universal background checks were, quote, off the table. As CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, the president's flip, flop, and flip again come as a new CNN poll shows most Americans want stricter gun control laws in the U.S. President Donald Trump again shifting his stance on background checks for gun purchases, today insisting that he supports pursuing new gun control legislation. I have an appetite for background checks. We're going to be doing background checks. We're working with Democrats. We're working with Republicans. Uh, We already have very strong background checks. But sources indicate Trump's support for stricter gun laws has cooled as he repeated NRA talking points to reporters before departing for a veterans event in Kentucky. It's a slippery slope, and that's what actually your gun owners and a lot of other people are concerned with. But just a few days ago, Trump also said he didn't believe in the slippery slope. They think you approve one thing, and that leads to a lot of bad things. I don't agree with that. I think think we can do meaningful, very meaningful background checks. I want to see it happen. The president's comments now also a softer tone from what he said in the days following the mass shootings in Texas and Ohio. I believe that this, and I can tell you from my standpoint, I would like to see meaningful background checks, and I think something will happen. But I don't want guns in the hands of a lunatic or a maniac. And I think if we do proper background checks, we can prevent that. The president's softening coincides with recent conversations between White House officials and the NRA, including a recent phone call between Trump and Wayne LaPierre, in which a source says Trump told the NRA head that universal background checks were off the table. LaPierre tweeting on Tuesday, quote, I spoke to the president today. We discussed the best ways to prevent these types of tragedies. Donald Trump is a strong Second Amendment president and supports our right to keep and bear arms. Trump today denying he got into specifics with LaPierre. I didn't say anything about that. We had a great talk with Wayne yesterday. Didn't say anything about that. We just talked about concepts. Wayne agrees things have to be done also. 
Important to point out, we've seen this kind of pattern from President Trump before. You'll recall after the shooting in Parkland, Florida, he taunted lawmakers, suggesting that they were afraid of the NRA and that he was not. He even talked about passing some form of comprehensive gun control legislation back then. After direct talks with the NRA, Erica, the president backed away from that position. Indeed, he did. Uh, Boris, appreciate it. Thank you. As we look at all of this, it's important to point out, too, there's this new CNN poll out today, which finds that 60 percent of Americans actually favor stricter gun control laws. So it begs the question, and Mehdi, I'll throw this one to you, why it's so hard to move here on an issue that really does have a good amount of support in this country. Is it simply about money and the NRA having the president's ear, or is there more to it? I think the money in the NRA is definitely a big factor, I think, as Boris just mentioned. You know, he said, oh, you're all afraid of the NRA. With Trump, it's always projection. He says, you're afraid of the NRA. Really, he's afraid of the NRA, which is why he rings. He initiated the call to the head of the NRA uh, to say, you know, background checks are off the table. Clearly, it's an issue with support. 90% of Republicans support universal background checks. A majority of NRA members, according to one poll, support universal background checks. So, yeah, why isn't it happening? Because the NRA doesn't represent its members. It represents gun manufacturers. And Trump also has an issue with his base. It always comes back to his base. There are reports that... When he gave that speech last week in New Hampshire and talked about, well, the person doesn't pull, the gun doesn't pull the trigger, the person does, he loved the applause that got. And he knows, you know, the economy, we're going to talk about it later, is going downhill. He doesn't want to lose those supporters. He sees himself as the Second Amendment guy now, even though he wasn't for most of his life. It's, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think the point about he heard the applause. Mm-hmm. Classic. He, if you look at Donald Trump and who he is from you know, June 2015 when he announces until now. The one thing that has become very clear is, one, he loves campaign rallies because he hears the applause, and two, he's effectively like a a comedian doing a greatest hit or a band doing a greatest hit show, right? You go see, you want to see Hotel California if you go see the Eagles. He is giving them what they like, they cheer, he feels validated, and he always says, I don't understand why polling is, doesn't look good for me. All I do is go around, is go around and people cheer for me. That is very much a smart way to understand him. So when you see something added into his rhetoric, like, for example, it's, you know, guns don't pull the trigger, mm-hmm. people pull the trigger, or guns don't kill, people don't kill, et cetera. You know what I'm right. saying? We're that's when it. that's when you know, well, he's happy with that line because it got a response. That's right. who he is. He knows when something sticks. Yes. I, think you're, I think you're right. What's interesting, and, and, and you brought this up a little bit, Maddie, but also, also Boris touched on this, is that... We did hear from him, Mary Catherine, after Parkland, right? Listen, it's time for you lawmakers to stand up to the NRA. The reality of where we sit today in August of 2019 is the one person who really has the power to make something happen is the president. Because we know no lawmaker is going to push anything through without knowing that the president 100 percent has their back and that he actually means what he says. That's And that's why, by the way, McConnell wisely, tactically speaking, was like, well, let's see what happens with the president, because the president will change his mind in six days. Uh, He wasn't for that idea before. He's not necessarily for this idea now, and that could change in two seconds. Um, I will say, as far as getting things through Congress, um, I think many people misunderstand it when they think that the NRA is the big bad guy, Mm -hmm. and the NRA is the big block here. The reason that Second Amendment uh, supporters win is because they are extremely passionate about this issue and they are extremely passionate then, now, forevermore. And they vote and they always act on it and it does not ebb and flow, unlike the other side, which does ebb and flow based on the news cycle. Now, when it comes to something like universal background checks, one of the reasons I think Democrats do themselves a disservice on the 2020 trail, pushing things like registration and licensing because it makes people think, 
Well, now you're just saying the stuff out loud. When you're telling me we want to just do this reasonable thing, you're saying, no, you actually want to do this other stuff, too. So it, you lose trust with those voters. Which really plays into, actually, the NRA's talking points, which the president has picked up about universal background checks, Julie, being a slippery slope. If they are hearing these other things from, for, from Democrats, it also sets Democrats up, Joe Biden included, who said, tweeting once again, President Trump has folded to the NRA, broken his promise to pursue the most modest of gun safety policies. They could also be setting themselves up if they say we want to do a modest gun safety policy and they can't get it through because look what they may be stuck with. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there is a risk here of a political risk for both parties on both sides. And it's not just about the money. I think Mary Catherine's right. It is about the political power of some of these voters. And for years and years and years, members of both parties, Republicans and Democrats, have been afraid of being targeted uh, politically by those people, by uh, of being turned out, losing their seats over some of these key votes. And if gun legislation were to, if the president, the irony here is if the president were to be able to bring himself, as with so many other issues, to actually bring up uh, a modest gun proposal, gun rights, gun uh, safety proposal that polls show that the majority of voters would mm-hmm. support, that would put Democrats in a really difficult position. Yep. It could potentially be a really hard vote for some of their more moderate Democrats right. who do not want to go as far as some of the presidential candidates, do not want to go as far as some of their, their leaders do in imposing gun safety measures. They've taken votes on things that they all do agree on on the Democratic mm-hmm. side. But the president could make this harder for them politically than he actually is because he se- can't seem to bring himself uh, to get to go on the record and stay on the record in favor of some of these that, proposals. That's exactly, exactly right. He could. He won't because he is so enthralled to his base. One other point I want to make, because people do often say, well, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell. Sure. But 2013, 20 kids have been murdered in Newtown, 26 total people dead three months earlier. President Barack Obama, a Democrat, has a series of proposals, including expanded background checks and a few other things, that are open to the amendment process in the Senate. He is pushing hard. Who controls the Senate then? 54 Senate Democrats. They're in the majority. Now, they don't get... 60 votes for anything. They would have needed six Mm -hmm. Republicans. The point is, it's not just because, well, Republicans are in control now and they won't do anything. Democrats had opportunities and they had a president pushing hard and they couldn't get it done. I think it's more, just to add a a Mary Catherine's point, I actually think some of it's, this is about the way in which the, the makeup of the Senate, there is, you know, every state gets two votes. Therefore, Wyoming has the same votes as California. So there's going to be a little bit, I think, of a rural bias, more pro-gun. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily representative of the country as a whole. But th- that's a complicated thing. You want to change that, you got to change the whole Senate. Right. That's, that that Which requires much more than the time we have <laughs> right. for this segment here. Here's the good news. There are lots more things for you to, to weigh in on today, including uh, whether this was actually some sort of joke. That reaction, there's a lot of that reaction. After President Trump canceled a visit to Denmark because the country won't sell him Greenland. So, yes, it may sound like a joke, but it also puts potentially a long-time close relationship in jeopardy. Plus, the president floating a dramatic change to U.S. citizenship, one that would require changing the Constitution. We'll see what happens with the Federal Reserve, whether or not... In our world lead, President Trump blowing up diplomatic relations with one of the United States' closest allies attacking the prime minister of Denmark after she called his push to buy Greenland, which, just to be clear, isn't for sale, she called it absurd. I thought that the prime minister's statement that it was absurd, that was a, it was an absurd idea, was nasty. I thought it was an inappropriate statement. You don't talk to the United States that way. 
Danish politicians calling Mr. Trump's cancellation of his planned visit deeply insulting. CNN's Anna Stewart joins us now from Copenhagen. So what are people saying there in Denmark to this latest attack from President Trump? Well, there has been plenty of reaction, as you can imagine, all day long. The Danes woke up this morning to that tweet and the knowledge that the state visit, which is in less than two weeks' time, was cancelled. And politicians from across the political spectrum rarely are united in voicing incredulity and saying they feel insulted, not just by the idea that the U.S. thought the U.S. president thought that Greenland was for sale, which, of course, it isn't, um, but also by how it's all escalated. Take a look at how it unfolded in the last 24 hours. After abruptly cancelling a trip via tweet and possibly insulting a longtime close American ally, today President Trump went one step further and attacked Denmark's prime minister. I thought that the prime minister's statement that it was absurd, that was a, it was an absurd idea, was nasty. I thought it was an inappropriate statement. All she had to do is say, no, we wouldn't be interested. The president, referring to the Danish leader, calling Trump's idea of buying Greenland, which is owned by Denmark, absurd and adding, I strongly hope that this is not meant seriously. Today, all around Copenhagen, Danes reacting to Trump's cancellation. It's truly disappointing. I think it's a great display of his character. I think it's, it's really disrespectful um, to the Queen. The spokesperson for the Danish Queen, who was scheduled to host the president, told CNN it was a complete surprise. This has never happened before. From the Prime Minister. I've been looking forward um, to the visit. Our preparations were well underway. It was an uh, opportunity, I think, to celebrate uh, Denmark's close uh, relationship to to US. This all started when the Wall Street Journal reported last week that Trump was interested in buying Greenland. Essentially, it's a large real estate deal. A lot of things could be done. But the Danish Prime Minister quickly responded, telling a Danish newspaper... Greenland is not for sale. The continued fallout has left one of the United States' most reliable alliances in jeopardy, according to the former U.S. ambassador to Denmark. This is just not the way you treat an ally. Denmark has been a robust contributor to U.S.-led military missions, despite its relatively small armed forces, including joining the Coalition of the Willing during the 2003 Iraq invasion and sending 750 troops to Afghanistan during the height of NATO-led military missions. In fact, the Afghan war ended up being the deadliest military campaign in modern Danish history, losing more service members per capita than the U.S. did. They went and they fought alongside our troops and they died alongside our troops. And Erica, the Danish Prime Minister actually spoke again this evening, just hours after her statement, responding to the U.S. president saying that some of her comments were, quote, nasty. In an interview with the national broadcaster, DR, she said, I do not feel the need to enter into a war of words and not with the U.S. president, saying she wants to focus on more important issues, clearly trying to draw a line under this whole episode and not allow a spat with a current sitting U.S. president overturn centuries of a strong alliance. Erica? Anna Stewart, live for us there in Copenhagen. Thank you. Lori Fulton is the former U.S. ambassador to Denmark under President Obama and joins us now. I just have to begin with your reaction. We just heard, as Anna said, the prime minister saying she's not going to go any further. She's going to stop this right here from her end. What are your thoughts on what the president had to say today? Well, you know, I think President Trump got one thing right. He said yesterday, Denmark is a very special country with incredible people. And boy, I think that they have proven that over the last two days. And this whole unfortunate episode in U.S.-Danish relations 
was avoidable. If you think about it, if you're going to try to buy a piece of another sovereign country's territory, how is the appropriate way to do that? Isn't it to go to that country and talk? Instead, this administration went to the media, and it was a big media story, and it you know, pushed everybody into having to take public positions without there ever having been any kind of discussion. But I think Prime Minister Matt Fredrickson has done a very measured and appropriate response, as you would expect from the leader of a Western democracy. So what's the fallout here, based on your experience? The fallout here is, I think, the Denmark-U.S. relationship is longstanding and it's strong. And it continues regardless of who is the president of the United States or regardless of who's the prime minister of Denmark. And I think that this is an unfortunate curve in the road. But I think that Denmark at least will get beyond it. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that our administration gets beyond it. It's interesting because we're hearing, too, in terms of fallout from other Danish politicians. The former prime minister called it all deeply insulting. Uh, as we said, the head of the Danish Social Liberal Party saying it shows uh, why more than ever we should consider the EU countries our closest allies. The man is incalculable. Talking about aligning themselves more closely with their European neighbors and focusing more on that than perhaps this very important relationship that for both the U.S. and Denmark that we've seen for such a long time. Does that give you pause? It does give me pause. Denmark has always been a strong member of the EU in terms of, you know, how it um, agrees with the political stances of the EU and how it participates in the EU. That said, I think that they have looked to the United States for best practices in all kinds of areas, anti-terrorism. I mean, they've joined us in various wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, Mm -hmm. Syria, you know, the um, wars that Denmark was not used to fighting in foreign wars. They've gone above and beyond for us. And to hear people now say, maybe we should think differently about our relationship with the United States is really a shame because the United States has benefited from this strong relationship with Denmark. Lori Fulton, really appreciate you joining us with your perspective today. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. President Trump repeating an anti-Semitic trope again today. The outrage and the silence. Next. In our 2020 lead, outrage coming from Jewish groups, from Democratic candidates, among others, after President Trump once again said... Jews who vote for Democrats are either dumb or disloyal. Questioning Jewish loyalty has long been an anti-Semitic trope. And as CNN's Tom Foreman reports, the president has a history of making similarly offensive comments. You vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. From naming Jerusalem the capital of Israel, to siding with the Jewish nation on territorial matters, to his stand on Iran, Trump is painting his support for the Israeli government's causes as so profound only idiots would not agree. I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. He has even embraced a right-wing trope that says Israelis see him like he is the second coming of God, retweeting a conspiracy theorist who, like Trump, has questioned President Obama's birthplace. It's outrageous. It's offensive. 
uh, and it's dangerous. Jewish lawmakers, rights groups, and several Democratic candidates for president are howling. Trump's stance is anti-Semitic, pure and simple. These comments are insulting and inexcusable. The Jewish people don't have to prove their loyalty to you. I am a proud Jewish person. And I have no concerns about voting Democratic. The fury is not merely because Trump is winking at an old stereotype, suggesting American Jews may be as loyal to Israel as they are to their own country. Rather, much of the anger flows out of a sense that Trump has been here before, inviting the creator of an anti-Semitic comic to the White House, telling a group of Jewish Republicans the Israeli leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, is your prime minister. And when right-wing marchers in Virginia chanted, Jews will not replace us, there was Trump acknowledging their violent clash with counter-protesters, but also giving them cover. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Still, politically, this all makes sense. Less than a quarter of Jewish voters supported Trump in 2016, so offending the whole group cost him almost nothing. He has a strong cheering section among white supremacists who don't like Jewish people anyway. And don't forget Christian evangelicals, his strongest supporters, some of whom openly believe Trump is an historic character sent to promote the Jewish state before the coming end of times. Erica. Tom Foreman. Tom, appreciate it as always. Thank you. Tom actually sets this up perfectly. As, as we look at all of this, Julie, sowing this division among Jewish voters, does it actually help the president? I don't really think so. I mean, if you look at the numbers the way they are, uh, you know, the majority of uh, American Jews are voting Democratic, or at least did in the last, uh, in the midterm congressional elections. And it's not clear that he's actually persuading anyone with this rhetoric. Uh, it, it seems that he's, uh, offend, he's offended Jews across the political spectrum, really. But he does have... Uh, a strategy here of, uh, mm-hmm. of some sort. Uh, he's on one hand appealing to conservative Jews who do, uh, many of them, believe that the Democratic Party has strayed very far away from their values and what the policies that they want to see implemented. Um, this talk of the BDS movement and of criticizing Israel for its policies and its treatment of the Palestinians is anathema to them. And they appreciate that the president uh, has really you know, made that front and center. They appreciate um, his his rhetoric in this regard. But I think some of them are also are worried about the effect of um, this partisan wedge that's being driven here because the history of the American relationship with Israel has been a very strong bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a there's a real anxiety that if that is erodes that that's going to be bad for Israel and bad for the United so, States. So I actually, I, w- I want to pick up on that because we've been hearing, you know, we've been seeing this swift, swift significant pushback and not, not just from, you know, 2020 candidates and Democrats. We see it from nonpartisan groups as well. But not from Republicans. No. Well, that, that was next on my list, but we'll get, to, we'll get to that. But sticking just for a moment with, with the relationship with Israel and how, and, and how political or not it should be, we also heard from the president of Israel today who tweeted, the link between us is between peoples based on historical ties, deep, strong friendships, and shared values, not dependent on the links with either party. Interestingly, Benjamin Netanyahu declined to comment here, um, which I think we do need to point out. 
He doesn't show, though, many any sign of, of backing off here. It's not the first time. It's not the second time no. we've heard this from the president. No, he's not going to back off. I think three times now, Julie and I were discussing before, and we're counting, he's re- basically referred to American Jews as a secret Israelis with dual loyalties to their prime minister abroad. This is the third time he's done it as president. Uh, he's not going to back down. And I just think we need to deal with this very dangerous idea that says uh, being pro-Jewish means you have to be pro-Israeli. Or being pro-Israeli means you're automatically pro-Jewish and you're immunized from the charge of anti-Semitism. Lots of anti-Semites support Israel and Benjamin Mm -hmm. Netanyahu. It doesn't mean anything. And regardless of Donald Trump's views on Israel, as your report showed, he's always been an anti-Semite. This is not a controversial opinion. The facts are there. He was an anti-Semite in the 1980s when Ivana said he kept a book of Hitler speeches next to his bed. He was an anti-Semite in the 90s when his casino manager said he only wanted short guys in yarmulkes counting his money. He was an anti-Semite in 2013 when he shamed Jon Stewart on Twitter for having a Jewish birth name. And of course, in 2015, when he said to Republican Jewish donors, you won't vote for me because I don't want your money. And then we see the presidency, neo-Nazis at Charlottesville, very fine people. It goes on and on and on. I don't know how much more evidence we need that he's an anti-Semite. And it's amazing that not a single Republican today has called him out for it. He sees people as monolithic. He sees people as sort of a monolith, right? So all Jews, remember during the campaign, and says it in campaign rallies now, what the hell do you have to lose? African-Americans, what the hell do you have to lose? Hispanics, remember during the campaign, he said, look, there's my black over there. Those are his words, not mine. He sees the world in these monoliths. Uh, He always has. And so therefore, it's a, because all, a Jews, all Jews must see things X way. If you don't, there's something going on. I mean, this is this is not, it's not just Jewish people. It's also African-Americans, it's also Hispanics. I mean, there's just not, there's other groups, but, but this is not new for him. Does this, does this hurt him at some point, Mary Catherine? Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's part of sort of a building drip drip of making people who might be skeptical of Trump but might be willing to pull the lever based on economic reasons go, God, this is like we got sort of turning a meme into mm-hmm. an international incident with Denmark. We've got this over yeah. here. Like, and like, for, it's a bad idea for the president of the United States to question the loyalty of any of the private citizens thereof, um, particularly when there's a lot of baggage when it comes to uh, the Jewish people on that question. And it's weird because he's in this ongoing tinkling match with the squad uh, and he's doing what they did he, right. what they, he accuses them of, which is assuming bad motives and uh, and pushing this idea of dual loyalties. Even if he sort of thinks it's a good thing, it's very, it's bad news. It is very <laughs> confusing. Do do more Republicans, and I ask this question sort of knowing what the answer is, but do more Republicans need to come out and say, I mean, they were all for coming out and saying, you know, siding with him when it comes to Representatives Tlaib and, 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 and Omar and right. being upset about, to your point, sort of the way they're sp- because they're bad faith actors. But, you can't but not, but you can't do it when it's the president saying and trying to lump people into one group and saying, well, you know, you're either with me or against me. And if you're Jewish, you better be with me because otherwise. Uh-uh. I mean, consistency would require that people do things like that. But consistency is out of style. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all <laughs> it's just the reason that they come out and bash Rashida Tlaib and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right. Ilhan Omar, is because their base, watch Fox News for five minutes. You'll see a lot of those four people, freshman members of Congress. Well, also because they, they like Trump, they do things that are worth criticizing. Right. Right. Absolutely. But the reason Not that, like Repu- Trump, but the reason that Republicans no, no, no. are like willing to do like things Trump, that are worth criticizing. They've made so, openly yes. white nationalists, anti-Semitic, anti-black racists. Come on. Let's not do it both sides At least one of the squad has engaged in frequent anti-Semitic No, not one of them has said anything on the level of what he said today. They've made comments that played on this. One of them apologized for it. None of them have said anything equivalent to what Trump has said. 
has said over the years or today. Let's not minimize I mean, Trump's open racism here. Let's not minimize other people's racism. I, I do think that the reason it's purely politics. The reason that it's the same reason that you're not going to hear people come out and criticize him when he makes a million other things that mm-hmm. he said, whether it's criticizing Kazir Khan and the Gold Star family, whether it's Charlottesville. They're not going to do it because uh, who has done that and done well uh, politically? Justin Amash remains to be seen, but I would be worried if I was him. Jeff Flake, not in the Senate anymore. Bob Corker, not in the Senate anymore. I mean, there's a long record here. And so they, they are putting political opportunism or politics above mm-hmm. what we would traditionally define as leadership. Right. And then it's again, it's an answer that we knew. But sometimes it doesn't hurt to have a conversation again, right, to remind ourselves that this is where we are. Yep. It is. Up next, the Trump administration announcing it is getting rid of a decades-old agreement that could mean detaining migrant families indefinitely. Birthright citizenship, where you have a baby in our land, you walk over the border, have a baby. Congratulations, the baby is now a U.S. citizen. We're looking at it very, very seriously. President Trump suggesting today his administration is considering executive action on birthright citizenship, which for the record, is protected by the U.S. Constitution. You want to get really technical? 14th Amendment. Immigration is a major focus, of course, for the White House today, as the administration unveiled new plans allowing migrant families, including children, to be detained for longer than 20 days, which is the current limit. CNN's Diane Gallagher joins us now. So, Diane, why now? Well, look, Erica, this is part of the Trump administration's efforts to radically alter immigration in the United States. The president effectively saying today that this is a deterrent from those families coming here. Uh, The acting secretary saying that really this is tied to the number of families that are crossing the southwest border this year. But I do want to point out a proposal about exactly this was posted just about a year ago, just like the one that's going to be published on Friday. Uh, Still, he says that there are many reasons that they're they're taking a look at this now. The new rule establishes a high national standard for for care of children and families in custody, allows the government to keep families together for fair and expeditious immigration proceedings, restores integrity to our immigration system, and eliminates the incentive for children to be used or exploited to enter the United States. Now, that is because this new rule would allow families detained together for the entire duration of their immigration proceedings. Uh, That means there's no time limit at all. So indefinitely, right? Uh, This is going to take effect if it goes the way the government wants it to, 60 days from when it's published, which is going to be on Friday. But look, there are going to be challenges in court on this. There have already been discussions about that. The government says they're aware that's going to happen. Plus, they have to uh, present a briefing to the judge who oversees Flores to begin with, Erica. We were looking at some of the pictures there, Dan, as you were speaking about some of these facilities, which we know lawmakers have been to. We've heard a lot. Uh, You know, some of our own reporting teams have been there. McAleenan really Uh, doing his best to make the point today that the situation for these families would be far different, that they would have much better living conditions. They would have toiletries. They would have, you know, regular beds. They would have access to three meals a day and snacks. He makes it sound like a far better situation. That being said, there are still, you point out the legal concerns. There are concerns being raised about this. And there are. And look, I've been inside of those facilities and there's no way for me to verify what Secretary McAleenan said about the conditions of these family detention areas. There are three of them in the U.S. right now. What I can tell you is that as far as licensing goes, these would be federally licensed. They're ICE facilities, so they don't have to adhere to the state licensing requirements anymore. And remember, Erica, a lot of people are concerned because there have been seven children who have died in the past year, either in or immediately after being released from federal custody. So there are those concerns. Diane Gallagher uh, with the latest for us, Dan. Thank you. 
Up next, a brand new CNN poll that may not ease the anxiety inside the White House. This one tackling the economy and the election as President Trump declares himself, quote, the chosen one. In our money lead today, for the first time in his presidency, President Trump is experiencing a significant decline in how the public views the economy. Take a look at a new CNN poll. 65 percent of Americans say the current economy is good. And while that is still a high number, take a look at how it's moved. In May, it was 70 percent, 71 percent in March. The president clearly worried about how the economy could affect his reelection campaign today, pointing fingers at the media and at the Federal Reserve once again. Let's bring in now CNN's Vanessa Yurkiewicz, who's live in Michigan, where folks there are seeing one of the downsides of the economy, these hundreds of steel layoffs we've been talking about. What are you hearing in the community, Vanessa? How are they feeling? Hi, Erica. There's people here in the community that are very much confused and shocked by the fact that U.S. Steel has announced it will be temporarily laying off about 200 workers at the factory just behind me. The company saying they're doing this because of ongoing challenging market conditions here. Now, this is very much in contrast to what we've heard the president say over the last week, including giving himself credit for bringing back the steel industry. We spoke to one city official here who says he sees no no evidence of that. And he's concerned that these temporary layoffs could become permanent. Yes, it was a shock. It was a shock. And uh, uh, I'm hoping that things reverse quickly. We hope that it is going to be temporary, but I can't. I can't guarantee that. And neither can they. And this concern here has turned into the thought that maybe this is an industry now in peril. If you just look at U.S. Steel stock prices, this time last year, U.S. Steel was trading at about $30 a share. Today, we're looking at $12. That's a 60% drop. And Erica, as far as these temporary layoffs, U.S. Steel says they don't know when these jobs will come back. Erica? That is certainly an important question. Vanessa, thank you. As we look at all of this, the president today saying the economy is doing, in his words, phenomenally well and also tried to distance himself from his own trade war. Take a listen. This isn't my trade war. This is a trade war that should have taken place a long time ago by a lot of other presidents. Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. So I'm taking on China. So, Liz, I'm just going to let you go on that one because well, he I really, mean, he teed himself up for you. So, he's joking, right? Like, it's meant to be a joke. I, I get that. He kind of looks up to the heavens. But also, like, most things that Donald Trump jokes, but not totally joking. He, he does believe himself to be sort of a great man of history. He believes that he was elected in this unbelievable upset, which he's, by the way, 100% right about. No one said he could do it. Now he's here. He's always believed he is special and unique in the world. The election validated that. So he is joking. I'm not I don't think he meant that seriously. Sure. Like the bright beam shines down on him. At the same time, there's an element in how he refers to himself, all his exaggerations, all of his lies that are all aimed at that kind of idea. Here's the Go ahead. I was going to say he's definitely special and unique, but not in the way he thinks. Um, I mean, he spent the last 24 hours saying chosen one, uh, king of Israel, etc., etc. You know, this kind of mad stuff. The last 24 hours have been particularly mad. And I think part of that is to do with the fact that he's seeing this stuff, the actual stuff that he knows will matter come November 2020. He has no chance of being re-elected if the economy goes bad. That's one of the few good things he can point to, which people in polls have said he's good at, even his opponents. Mm-hmm. And yet 
He, he sees it going sideways. So he says, the media is creating a recession. Right. Journalists are trying to crash the economy. I did economics at college. I'm no expert, but maybe I was away the, cl- the day they taught the class that journalists have the power to bring down an economy. People I must think have missed we have that a lot cl- more power. We have a lot, more, a lot of power. <laughs> a lot more power than we do. From the conspiracy theorist. Although, although, listen, here's what's interesting, right? So if the economy is, is still doing great, all bets are off. A White House advisor telling Politico, and I think this is fascinating, people don't vote on numbers. They vote on whether they feel good. And the president understands that, and he's selling the feeling. And they're right, Mary Catherine. I mean, we look at this all the time in elections. Not only are politics local, meaning that it matters how you're feeling in that moment and what your personal situation is, but there is also a feeling that's connected with it. He's selling the feeling. He's not wrong. The the economy is good and it matters. Mm -hmm. And for as long as it stays good, that super, super matters to his reelection. But he's selling two feelings. One is, don't you feel great about this economy? And two is, wow, there's a lot going on here right now and the news cycle is insane and it makes people sort of feel unsettled. So like I was talking about earlier, the people who are skeptics of him but feel good about the economy, he's making them feel less secure. And I would also say this trade war stuff, I've always been of the mind that like, if it ain't broke, don't I mean, don't fix it, dude. <laughs> and he, those chickens may come home to roost at some point and he has much less cushion with the economy falling off mm-hmm. than an Obama would uh, just because of the very thin margins in the way he won and because he has much less goodwill in other ways than other presidents have. So if it slips off a bit, I think it hurts him more than it would other people. Yeah. Right. And here's the problem here. It's it's one thing to sell a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can do that on some policy issues. A lot of what he does on immigration, a lot of what he does on foreign policy, all has to do with selling this construct. And people do. He's he is actually quite good at that in mm-hmm. some regards. You know, his he's very good at sort of marketing and the showmanship and telling people that Simple things are going a certain feeling. way right. when, in fact, they're not going that way mm-hmm. at all. But on the economy, that is the one place where that is not going to be enough. Because if come, you know, 2020... People are not, the economy is actually not good. If things, if people are not actually feeling um, like they are financially secure, if they're not feeling like they have the money to pay for the things that they need to pay for, uh, if costs continue to rise, and if these trade wars do continue to affect people in the way that they have, not just in steel, but in agriculture as well, mm-hmm. um, selling the feeling is not going to be enough. And I think he does not, he's not really reckoning with that. And he point. has made so many giant promises on the economy, one oh, yeah. of which, by the way, is he will get rid of the budget deficit in eight years, which ain't happening. It's going to be a trillion dollars. But, but the point, point being, growth, remember right, that one? at some point, those things will matter because people will look at it. The economy is something that people do vote on. If they feel as though he's made big promises, they have not been delivered on in any way, shape or form. Now he's in trouble because he was elected as a change agent. You got to bring change. We will be watching just ahead how pop music might be encouraging some North Koreans to defect from the rogue regime. Thanks for joining us today on The Lead. You can follow me on Twitter at Erica R. Hill or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for our exquisite panel, esteemed panel today. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. 
It could be used on an upcoming episode.